Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Patriots Beat. I am your host for this week, Harris Rubenstein. And, well, while it wasn't the most exciting week so far uh, for the Patriots, I think we still will have some good news to talk over. We're going to talk about the Malcolm Butler contract situation along with the rest of the uh, defense and kind of evaluate where we think the Patriots value these guys the most. We'll also be talking a little bit more about the amicus briefs in the uh, Tom Brady Deflategate case, we'll kind of go over you know the 500 day of Deflategate, how it's impacted the NFL, and uh, more stuff along those lines. Uh, we're happy to announce that we have uh, uh, Boston.com writer Eric Friends, who's going to be joining us to talk uh, about some Patriots stuff a little bit later. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. So first things first, the big news of this week was the kind of back and forth between Boston area reporters over this whole uh, Malcolm Butler concept that he sat out of OTAs or whatever the random workouts that they had uh, uh, last week, uh, that he sat out of those due to him being unhappy with his contract. I believe it was Michael Giardi of uh, CSN New England, who's one that said he was unhappy when, and then Jeff Howe, uh, was the one who said that that wasn't the case at all and he just missed the workouts because, honestly, NFL players don't really go... Like, they do, but they don't have to go to these workouts. They aren't mandatory. They're good if you go, but they're not, like, crazy. Not, like, a lot A lot of players miss them. But it seems that there's a big back and forth between whether or not Malcolm Butler actually wants a new contract from the Patriots. And when we hear from Eric later, he makes a lot of good points um, about how, you know, the evaluation of his contract and whether or not he's actually worth that contract. But before we get to him, I'll kind of give you guys my, in, excuse me, my interpretation on the, on the subject. But you know, it seems to me with Malcolm Butler that uh, he's a pretty captivating figure among uh, Patriots fans right now. I mean, he's probably the best cor- like besides Darrell Rivas, who was here for one year. Malcolm Butler is probably the best cornerback that we've had that's that had as good of a season as he've had as he's had since I don't know maybe like Asante Samuel. Like I'm serious, he was he was fantastic last year. Totally earned that Pro Bowl selection. Definitely deserved it. Um, I think he's a good cornerback. I don't think by any means he's a top, you know, five cornerback in the NFL. Maybe not even top ten yet. He's still kind of teetering between really good and, you know, one of the best. I think next year is going to be a really, really big season for him to see if he can take that another next step into the upper echelon of corners in the NFL. But for now, I mean, for now... He's just—he's a good number one corner. I don't think he's—I jo- don't think he's better than Josh Norman. I don't think he's better than Richard Sherman. I don't think he's up there with the Darrell Revises and the Patrick Petersons of the NFL. I don't really think he's one of those guys. I think he's more. What's a what's a good comparison to what Malcolm Butler is to now? Kind of. Hmm. This is a tough one. What's the kid's um? What's the kid's name in Atlanta? Not Alford, the kid on the other side. His name escapes me. His, his name escapes me, but he's kind of on that level of corner between the 10 to 15th best corner in the NFL. So kind of the B tier of corners in the NFL, but still pretty quality. And I think that last year we saw him really take a big step in his career, but is that deserving 
of a contract. Now, remember, he's an undrafted free agent. So the Patriots get him for this year, and then he becomes a restricted free agent next year, and they can attach any sort of tender that they want to him. First round, second round, third round, which means that if a team wants to sign him, they have to give the Patriots the pick based off the tender that they applied to him. Now the tender obviously is worth more money depending on what pick that they would get for him. But, you know, I think a good contract to kind of look at was the contract that the Jaguars recently gave to Alan Hearns. Alan Hearns got, I believe it was 40 years, $50 million. I'm not really sure what the guaranteed money is. But, you know, that was a good contract for him. The a guy who, you know, has really taken off in the NFL last year had an incredible season. I think over 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns, close to 60, 70 catches. Had a really good year and is really taking that Jaguars offense to another level. I think they're going to be really good this year on the offensive side of the ball. We'll see what happens on defense. But, no, I think Alan Hearns uh, definitely deserved the contract he had. And I think that number of four years, 50 mil, is a little bit high for Butler. I think we'd be looking more... Because uh, remember, Malcolm Butler is, I believe, 26. So you're not going to want to sign him to like crazy money or 25, 26. You're not going to want to sign him for like a crazy long amount of time into 32, 33 years old because most corners only have a shelf life till about 30, 31, unless you're one of the best of all time. But so a good contract for Malcolm Butler would probably be, I think, probably about four years, 35 mil with about maybe 16 mil guaranteed. I think that's a good number for him. It gives him a, a good number of uh, guaranteed money up front along with a decently uh, sized contract. Uh, the the total amount of money is pretty good for him. That's about, you know, I believe seven, eight mil a year, which I think is pretty quality for what he could get on the open market. I think on the open market, someone would overpay to maybe get to maybe give him, what, nine, maybe $10 million, which he's just not worth that kind of money. He's good, but he's not $9, 10000000 million worth of a cornerback. And then also, you also have to look at the, the rest of the Patriots team. Now, it's a little bit strange to me, and i bring this up to Eric later. <coughs> Excuse me. I think it's a little strange that the Patriots have allowed all of these guys to get so close to becoming free agents. You know, it, it even surprised me when Devin McCourty became an unrestricted free agent and he was allowed to roam free. That stunned me. I thought the Patriots were going to sign him up with with a, two years left on his contract, let alone not, not even in the offseason after he became a free agent. When I heard that Philly was going after him and the Jaguars, I was scared. I thought he was... I thought Devin McCourty was gone. I thought he was absolutely out of here. But, you know, I think... You know, they got really lucky being able to bring Devin McCourty back because he wanted to be here. The money was still good for him, and he loved playing for the Patriots. But the issue is, you know, let's say a player, let's say Jamie Collins, Donta Hightower, and Jabal Sheard hit the open market. Now, Donta Hightower out of those three is the most likely one to come back. He's the captain of the defense now. He's the play caller. He's he's probably the biggest leader. I know Jamie Collins took some steps last year, but I still think Donta Hightower is the leader of that defense. And I think he'll probably come back. They pay him. I'm not really sure what linebacker contracts are going for nowadays because I think if you look at Luke Keekley's deal, I think he signed a really big contract with uh, Carolina. That's kind of what you're looking at in terms of Donta Hightower money. Collins will probably get a little bit less than that on the open market, I think. It depends. It depends who's obviously paying him. But no, Donta Hightower would be a probably the most likely one to come back. Sheard would be absolutely out of here. Sheard would sign some crazy, like, four-year, $60 million deal with, like, the Falcons to sack 
12 guys, like get 12 sacks a year for them. Like if, if Jabal Sheard hits the open market, he's he's out of here. He is gone. There's no way the Patriots will be able to keep him. And then I think Jamie Collins is going to be the surprise one. I, as much as I love Jamie Collins, and I really do think that he is a pivotal part of this Patriots defense, if he hits the open market, some team is going to pay him through the absolute roof. Some team is going to give him one of the biggest linebacker contracts ever simply because of his athleticism, how raw he is as an athlete. He's still super raw as an athlete. He, I don't think he's completed his, his transformation as a football player yet. He's still getting better. So, you know, you already have his crazy kind of production plus his soon-to-be increase in production. It's, it is a... It is a mixture for a combination of him leaving the Patriots. And I think that someone would really pay pay so much money to bring him to their team. And that's why I think that, you know, while I do think that Dante, it, it's, it's hard to explain. Dante is definitely the most important player to bring back. But in a weird kind of way, Jamie Collins is the more risky player to let go to the open market. You you can't let that. He's more likely to leave than Dante is, which makes him a higher... There it is. Dante Hightower is a more important player to the Patriots, but Jamie Collins should be a higher priority priority to re-sign because he's he's out of here, I, I think, if, if they don't bring him back. And, you know, the money that they could give him is quite significant. The Patriots' cap room after this year, like, it's drops. It just like into a volcano it's gone they have a ton of cap room going into next season so they can actually re-sign a lot of these guys but you know they they do have a lot of big contracts coming up I mean even looking into the continuing years Julian Edelman needs a new contract soon Rob Gronkowski is going to need a new contract in a year or two um, you know, there's just a lot of Logan Ryan's going to need a new contract. What are they going to do with him? Are they going to bring him back? Patrick Chung, I believe is, I believe actually Patrick Chung might have the longest deal left on the New England Patriots, which is kind of funny and kind of weird at the same time. But like, I'm okay with it because Patrick Chung, I think last year was easily one of the 10 best safeties in football. If, if not one of the five best safeties in football out of that strong safety spot, obviously opposite Devin McCourty, but it, it's it's interesting to look at the Patriots cap. And by the way, if, if you guys want to get the best Patriots cap um, report ever, just go on Twitter and look up Pat's cap. Um, it's this guy named Miguel who is one of the best cap holders I've ever I've ever read about. He does a fantastic job of keeping everything up to date, of kind of showing you what the Pats could do with these contracts, and he throws out some really interesting numbers to uh, kind of show you where they're what they'd be looking at cap wise with the contracts they could give so everyone go give him a follow and go check him out definitely a shout out to Miguel at Pat's cap but I just think that you know this this is a team that is in a very much a win now kind of mode like as much as I really do enjoy what they're doing with the youth uh on this team and how young this defense is you know it's there. This is the team. Like I think the 2016 team right now is the team that they've been building for to win another Super Bowl. 2014 was kind of the was was the pinnacle team. They needed to win a Super Bowl. It, it had been a decade. Brady had turned 37. They had gotten Darrell Revis. Like it was time. It was time for the Patriots to win another Super Bowl. They had gotten so close so many times, and finally they got the right mixture to make everything happen correctly. Now that we've gotten past the stage of needing to win a Super Bowl, 
this this team is probably I, I talked to Eric about this also about what it, whether or not this is the best team in the AFC and I think that if you look through their roster and just go position by position I mentioned this last time I was host I think you'd be hard pressed to find a team with more talent than the New England Patriots right now they have so much talent at every single position they are so crazy deep at a lot of pivotal positions that honestly Patriots fans have been clamoring about for years constantly wanting more depth of these positions and now they actually have it. Patriots fans don't really know what to complain about anymore. The only thing they know what to complain about is running back, but you know, rumors out of workouts are that Deion Lewis is starting to look really good. Like Garrett Blunt is fully healthy from his hip injury. Tyler Gaffney might be a factor this year. This new kid they got from uh, Arizona from Arizona State, DJ Foster, has been lighting up Twitter with his incredible footwork. If you want to, I definitely go look up DJ Foster. He is some of the fastest feet I have ever seen. So people kind of cooled down on the whole needing a running back thing, which I was in that camp, but now I see, I get what they're trying to do on offense. I don't think, I, I do think they needed a first or second down running back, but I think the acquisition of Martellus Bennett and the drafting of Malcolm Mitchell should show everyone that while this team is going to attempt to run the ball, this is going to be an app. This this is going to be a pass heavy team like we've never seen before. They they've drafted so many interior guards that I think that they're going to try to stop the pass rush up the middle to be able to get Brady to split the middle of the field open. Like th- this this offense is going to be absolutely unstoppable. It's going to be ridiculous. The only issue is the tackle position right now, but if Nate Solder comes back fully healthy from an injury and Sebastian Vollmer gets his head out of his butt, which he had last year, I think they should be fine on the offensive side of the ball, especially with running back. But back to the contracts and what the what 2016 means to the Patriots. You know, after this season... You know, we don't really know what this team is going to look like. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of moving pieces at the end of this season. A lot of guys are coming into this year with one year left on their deals or they just signed one-year deals. Chris Long, Terrence Knighton. Uh, I, I don't think Alan Branch signed a crazy long contract. Uh, Amendola, excuse me, is going to have, you know, contract issues until he retires. Like, excuse me, all of these guys have a lot of, a lot of you know short term deals, and it's going to affect the Patriots for for the re- you know for a very very long time. And I think that they need to get a lot of this stuff locked down now, so that they don't have to keep worrying about it when undrafted free agent when uh, unrestricted free agency starts next year. So it's going to be an interesting rest of the offseason to see if they try to uh, sign these guys. They keep asking Donta Hightower about contract stuff, uh, all the reporters, and he keeps giving the same answer that, you know, I'm not focused on it. I'm focused on the upcoming season, which, you know, it's always nice to hear from a player that they want their focus on the season. They'll let their agents take care of that. That's great. On the other side of the coin, it is a little bit worrying that, you know, we haven't, you know, there's not a, a lot of, you don't hear these reports of, oh, Hightower and the Patriots are discussing, you know, a contract extension or his reps or Jamie Collins reps and the Patriots are discussing a contract extension. Those are the reports you usually want to hear at this point in camp. But um, but no, it, it'll be a very interesting year for sure. Um, I really do think that this Patriots, this 2016 Patriots team is kind of the be-all, end-all for this Patriots dynasty. Um, I think after this year, it's really going to be a huge next step for the franchise to see where they are going to go with a lot of their players that are going in and out of the team. But anyway, before... 
uh, we go any further, it is now time to bring in Eric Friends. But before we get into our interview with Eric Friends, I'd first like to announce that this interview is brought to you by Loot Crate. The onslaught of big summer blockbusters makes May the perfect time to celebrate some of pop culture's unstoppable, unrelenting, and unbeatable characters and objects. We've got something you can carry, something for your kitchen, and a cool figure to go with our monthly tea and pin, featuring two Marvel items, plus Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z, no one crate should have all this power. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get eight, six to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that it that's it. It's over. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash CLNS and enter code CLNS to save $3 on any new subscription. Now that we have gone through that, let's get into Eric Friends' interview. So uh, to get right into it, Eric, um, obviously this, this week has been a little bit slow with Patriots news, but the, uh, the one big thing that's really come up has been uh, uh, Malcolm Butler's contract issues. There have been back and forth reports that maybe he's sitting out or he sat out of workouts because of the contracts, and then Jeff Howe said that he didn't. What do you make of this whole situation? Yeah, um, right now, I mean, my – general perspective is that I feel like the Patriots have all of the leverage in that they could uh, they could put the restricted free agent tag on him uh, with a first round tender, a second round tender, or an original round tender. Uh, wouldn't cost them more than, you know, three and a half million dollars to do that for next year. Uh, and that's far below the market value for a cornerback of Butler's uh, Butler's ability, although I wouldn't yet put him in that top tier of, of cornerbacks, the guys who are getting, you know, $10 million a year just yet. And I think that's part of the problem is that we've only seen him play for a year. Uh, he still has a lot to prove. And I think this year could go a long way in, in putting him in that upper echelon of, cor- of cornerbacks. But, um, but I think if the Patriots were to, to cave into him right now, it would be a little early to pull the trigger on a long-term deal. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that uh, we see with undrafted free agents, I think the most interesting one was Alan Hearns. Uh, all, the, all their contracts, usually their first or second contracts, are very, very wide-ranging when it comes to uh, like what the actual value on them is. So what's the contract number you think would really fit Malcolm Butler? That's a good question. Right now, I mean, again, the market value for a cornerback of, you know, of his ability I think it's got to be around, you know, $8 million a year at, or, or so. But, um, but you know, I think that's right now, I mean, they can they could pay significantly lower than that on the restricted free agent uh, tag tender. So um, so I think that's, that's something they have to take into account. And I think also, you know, when you, when you think about it, really, I mean, this, this could be a year where he could take a step in either direction. So, um, so that value could go up. He, he could end up, you know, as in the discussion of one of the top 10 contracts for a corner, or he could take a step back and people could wonder, you know, what, where he falls exactly in terms of those mid-range contracts. Mm-hmm. Well, another strange thing that the Patriots are seem to do whenever they have like a big uh, free agent about to come up, um, they, they seem to draft a lot of people from that position. I remember, uh, you know, Chandler Jones before last year, they draft, two defensive ends and then pick up another two and undrafted free agency. And then this year, same thing happens. Draft Cyrus Jones, 
pick up Jonathan Jones, uh, Levon, uh, I forget his name, uh, a couple other corners in a drafted free agency. Do you think they're afraid that they might lose him or they're just filling up depth? I think they're just filling up depth. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that they kind of went with the volume approach at the cornerback spot um, because they did that at a couple of other positions too, particularly a wide receiver where they signed Chris Hogan and Nate Washington. They drafted Malcolm Mitchell and Devin Lestine. So they've added a lot of bodies at wide receiver. And on the contrary, you know, you mentioned that they tend to do this when they have players coming up with contracts. But one position they didn't do this at, where they have two players coming up with contracts, is that linebacker. They did add Ramon Humber. Uh, they drafted a linebacker whose name is escaping me right now. But they have added some bodies at the position, but not to the extent they added the cornerbacks and the wide receivers. So I wouldn't read too much into that. I think there's, you know, they, they've been searching for that depth at that position for a while. And really, when you look at the, the depth chart, I mean, it's Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan at the top. Um, Cyrus Jones is going to work into that trio in terms of uh, rotating in and out and being in that, that nickel spot. Maybe they'll have Logan Ryan play in the nickel at times and Jones can play on the outside. Um, so there's there's any number of ways they can do that at the cornerback spot. I think they just really needed to address that third spot because last year the, the top five defensive backs on the roster in terms of snap counts, uh, three of them were safeties. And, and typically speaking, when you're talking about a five defensive back package, that fifth defensive back is going to be a corner and I'm not they're not saying anything negative about the safeties they had out there I think they were I think Patrick Chung did really well in that slot type hybrid linebacker role but you want to have more options there I think that's really what they were looking at yeah I think it was weird last year uh, I think they had Tavon Wilson playing corner uh, for a couple of games in there when yeah. I think once a couple injuries hit that was a little weird but uh, as much as I hate putting fuel on the fire of uh, Boston Sports Radio uh, this week, um, 98.5, uh, I think it was Maz on a, on a Felger and Maz, they, he claimed that Jabal Sheard is more valuable to the defense than Donta Hightower and is more deserving of extension. Now, for most football people, that's a little ridiculous. But I think another a big question that I, I still want answered, who's more valuable to the Pats defense that you think they need to re-sign? Donta Hightower or Jamie Collins? Who's a bigger priority? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, in terms of Jabal Sheard, I do think his um, his priority in terms of being re-signed, it's right up there with Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower. I I mean, I all respect to to Maserati. I think you can put it in that discussion. Um, I don't think you I don't think you could say it's outright clear that Sheard is the more valuable guy, but. They had a hard time filling that pass rusher spot for a long time before Chandler Jones and Jabal Sheard came along. Really, the only success that they had at the defensive end spot before those guys was one year in 2011 when they had Mark Anderson and Andre Carter on the edge of their defense. And those guys were both on one-year deals. They were both veterans. They haven't really had much success developing that position. Um, you, you look at the guys they have right now in terms of Trey Flowers, uh, Geno Grissom, Rufus Johnson, so you should have some confidence that one of those guys is going to amount to something. But, uh, I mean, when you get a, a really special pass rusher like Sheard was last year, like it looks like he will be again this year, although he has kind of been up and down throughout his career, um, you want to hang on to him. But I, I do agree with you on the principle that Hightower and Jamie Collins are more valuable and more important to re-sign. Um, and I would put Jamie Collins a little bit higher on that list just because 
his athleticism is so rare at the position. I think the thing that stands out about Hightower is his leadership and his knowledge. But we have seen Jamie Collins taking a step up. He wore the green dot helmet in preseason last year, um, and he has taken steps forward in that leadership role as well. Um, and that athleticism and his ability to just do anything, um, I think that really sets him apart. One, uh, if you look at the Patriots roster right now, it, it it's very clear, I think a lot of people made an issue about this, that they have a lot, a lot of free agents up at the end of this year, which is kind of a new thing. Usually the Patriots are pretty good at keeping uh, everyone kind of on the same page with, with contracts and money and uh, cap space. Is, do you think there's any specific reason as to why they've let so many, I, I don't want to say let all these uh, contracts run out, but at the same time, it is a little alarming that almost half the starting defense will be a free agent after this year. Do you think they've let it slip a little bit, or are they just waiting for the cap to go up? Well, for all the talk that the Patriots are cheap or whatever, um, they do end up pretty close to the salary cap on a consistent basis. So it's not a given that they can just re-sign all these guys whenever they want. They have to have the money to do so, um, and they just haven't for, for a while. I mean, you can you can make the case that, yes, they free up cap space by extending a guy if they push that money forward, but then you're talking about pushing money forward into situations where you might then hamstring yourself to the future. So um, it, it's tough to say exactly why they've done it this way. Um, you're right, though. They have been pretty good recently about staying ahead of the curve. Um, they re-signed guys like Vince Wilfork, Logan Mankins before their contracts came up. Um, but, you know, in the more recent past, they have waited until the last minute. Guys like Devin McCourty had to wait until the last minute for his contract extension. Um, but one one example of a guy who they got ahead of the curve on was Rob Markowski, who um, obviously they, they re-signed him way early, and, and they've been they, – they, it paid off for them, that decision. So – um, and also, I mean, uh, Julian Edelman, they also let him buy up last year, his deal, and he did it again the year after, where they only had him back on a one-year deal. So, uh, you know, you can make the case that, um, that, it's, that, that it's better for them to stay ahead of the curve, but it's not always the, the, most, uh, the most convenient thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, thing we've seen this offseason, uh, you mentioned Rob Gronkowski's contract, and there are a lot of rumors that, like, he wasn't going to sit out, but that he wasn't necessarily pleased with his current contract. And we saw Jimmy Graham the past couple of years get huge money. We saw Dwayne Allen get a contract this year that, that I, I, I was stunned by. But we have heard reports that Gronkowski is going to report to camp, he's going to report to OTAs, and everything's fine. But eventually, they're going to have to pay this guy top dollar. But with his injury history, is that a safe bet for the Patriots to do, or should they just kind of see what happens? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I think with Gronkowski, the, the, the big issue has been his injuries, but um, but he's been healthy for the past couple of years. I mean, last year he had the, the knee injury that kept him out for a couple of weeks, but um, but really didn't see much of a, of a dip in his play either, you know, after that injury at all. So um, I, I would say, you know, the, the injury status at this point probably isn't a huge factor just because, he has been relatively healthy recently. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's the contract that he signed. When he signed that contract, he knew what he was getting himself into. Um, and, and now he's kind of at the mercy of the team. I mean, he could hold out if he wanted to. But uh, I think deep down, Gronkowski is that kind of person. I think he wants to play football. Uh, I think that's probably what he's going to end up doing. He's, he's probably not going to sit out. Yeah, fair enough. So, I guess moving away from the contract stuff and more into the uh, – 
the real big news of the past couple of weeks. Obviously, the other day was the 500th day of Deflategate, and this whole crazy crap keeps moving on through. But um, now we're starting to get into the more legal side of things, and we're seeing uh, a lot of groups come out and kind of stand behind Tom Brady. Obviously, the big one is the uh, big union group, uh, AFL-CIO, and then we had another union group whose name escapes me also join the battle this week. And this is turning into maybe one of the biggest legal union cases in American history. What's, what's, what's next for this case? Is this actually going to pass through, or what's, what's with all these amicus briefs? Yeah, I mean, your guess is as good as mine on that. I don't really have any insight on the whole legal process of it. Um, I, I do think that we're going to end up getting to the Second Circuit again, where Brady's going to end up taking it to that to that last blow. That seems to be the direction they've been heading the whole time, and wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, to see Brady on the field in 2016 for the first four games, just because I mean, this you know we're we're already on June 3rd, and the the season kicks off in three months. It would surprise me if they could get the whole thing arranged and handled by the time the season kicks off. Mm-hmm. So kind of away from uh, the legal stuff into a little more football before we let you go. Um, every single year, it seems that the Patriots have one or two surprise cuts after camp. And going into camp this year, they've restocked depth all across the offensive line. They've restocked depth all across the secondary. Who's one guy you think that the Patriots might cut that no one really expects as of right now? Well, you know, my, my default answer would be Aaron Dobson, but I feel like everybody kind of expects him to get cut now because of all the additions they've made a wide receiver. Uh, so, you know, I would say, you know, with that, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Dobson, um, Dobson sent home. I, I think, you know, there are so many guards in this mix at the battle of the, the, the starting guards, you know, between Jonathan Cooper, Trey Jackson, Shaq Mason, Joe Tooney. Um, uh, and all the other, I mean, Josh Klein, I mean, you go down the list, they have so many guys, and they can only, I mean, you're, you're not going to keep five guards. I mean, they're probably going to keep four, maybe three, and, you know, hopefully one of those guys is versatile enough to play multiple positions because, you know, typically when they keep extra offensive linemen, they want those guys to be more versatile to be able to play multiple positions so that they can, you know, essentially cover multiple positions of depth with one body so they don't have to carry, you know, five tackles and five guards. They can carry, you know, four tackles, two of whom can play guard, and then you essentially have four tackles and four guards. But mm-hmm. um, so I, I think one of those guys is probably going to end up gone. I don't know who it would be, but, I mean, at this point, you look at those names, I mean, they have a, a, a second-round pick in there, and Joe, uh, excuse me, a third-round pick in there in Joe Tooney. They have a, a, they have a fourth-round pick in Trey Jackson, a fourth-round pick in Shaq Mason. Jonathan Cooper, who was a former first-round pick, and Josh Klein, who they recently signed to a contract extension. I mean, one of those names is going to be kind of a surprise to see him get cut, but it's not going to be a surprising contest. Very nice. One more question before we let you go. Um, we've seen a bunch of teams in the AFC this, uh, this offseason make some big-time changes. The Chiefs got a lot better this offseason. So did the Raiders. Even the uh, AFC East got a little bit better. We'll see what happens with the Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, weird a situation with the Jets, but with all the changes that have been made to the AFC this year with player shuffling or whatever, is this Patriots team the best team in the AFC going into the season? 
Oh, man, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's tough to say going into the season because, I mean, we still don't know for sure if Tom Brady's going to play. I think going into the season, if Brady's on the field, absolutely. If he's not on the field, I think it's much more in question. I think it's really a jump ball at that point. And I would say, I, I mean, you look at the teams that have a good quarterback, I would put the Steelers up there in terms of a team that could compete. I, I mean, the Bengals, year in and year out, they compete. Um, they're They're always... Uh, a pretty competitive team, even though they lost a bunch of good wide receivers this year, they still have the, the real core of their team is still intact. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them make a push for one of those top two seeds, especially given the, the changes with the Broncos and, and with the Patriots having also, you know, without being without Tom Brady, I think that the Bengals could be one of those teams that's in the mix for one of those top two seeds. Also the Kansas City Chiefs, like you mentioned, they've taken some strides forward this year or this offseason and also, you know, them being one of the top, one of the playoff teams last year. Uh, I think that's also, you know, they can they can build off of that. And I think with, you know, just all the change that's up, it's like I said, I think it's really a jump ball. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. Thank you so much again for joining us, Eric. Like I said, uh, Patriots writer for Boston.com. Also a freelance guy. So if you want to hire, in my opinion, one of the best Patriots writers in the business, please go check him out on Twitter, at Eric Friends. He's a great writer, great guy. Thanks for uh, thanks again to him for coming on. But uh, let's go back to the um, – we didn't really talk about it too much with Eric, but let's go back to the uh, Patriots deflategate stuff. Now, I know that a lot of us are pretty sick of hearing about this by now, as am I. I'm – pretty sick about talking about it but you know we're we're through the 500th day of this whole debacle and i think what we've learned something about the the NFL its fans and the people who follow it now i think we're at a point with the flake gate where if you still believe it's real and you really believe that this wasn't just some inside job by the NFL in some sort of standards for them to try to keep power over the players, I think you're just being ignorant. And I think that most NFL fans, either one, just don't care about the flight game anymore. Two, understand that this time around, the Patriots did not cheat. You know, I don't really care about Spygate anymore. That was back in 2004. We've moved on from that. But... I think that this whole debacle has now it's it is no longer like everyone versus the Patriots. Now, this case has totally evolved. It has now evolved into NFL versus NFL players union. That's all this is now. This is this is the amalgamation of one of the worst collective bargaining agreements to have ever been signed in the history of sports. This was going to happen no matter what. It just happened to happen just happened to happen to Tom Brady and the Patriots with the flake gate. Eventually, something this ridiculous was going to happen to another team, and they were going to go have, go through all this lawsuit stuff, and then the AFL-CIO was going to get involved with their case. Something along the lines was going to have to break. Something along these union barriers was going to have to happen um, in this kind of way because this collective bargaining agreement was, was horrible. Just absolutely terrible like I, I I like what the Players Association has been trying to do with the NFL the past couple of years I I appreciate their attempts to make the game safer with less practicing and and you know more concussion safety and you know money for players after they play so they can uh, do medical bills and all that all that good stuff but at the same time they they just they completely got screwed 
they got destroyed. They were so happy to get these extra days off from practice that they didn't realize that they actually gave complete and utter control to a guy who I think we have all now realized just is not is not qualified. No, not even not qualified, just is not worthy of the position to be NFL commissioner. It is a position that you need that requires intelligence, the ability to be unbiased, and the, the ability to not have greed drive every single one of your decisions. So while, you know, I said this the last time I was, um, I was the host of this podcast, it is, it is ridiculous to me that no one is pointing more figures at the NFL Players Union for this. Like, I get it. The NFL is awful. And, like, you know, what they're doing to Brady and what they're doing to the Patriots and the Players Union is bad. But at the same time, the, the Players Union let this happen. They, they sat around. They, they got their cute collective bargaining agreement. They had their lockout. And what came of it? Nothing. They didn't get guaranteed contracts. A guy has complete control over their entire league. Weed can suspend you for for the rest of your career. Weed, marijuana. I get that there are people out there who think that it's bad and ooh, marijuana is evil. Shush, it, it is completely ridiculous that smoking a joint could end your NFL career. It is ridiculous that Josh Gordon might never play NFL football again. One of the most talented wide receivers we've ever seen play the game. It is ridiculous that he is not allowed to play football simply because he smoked weed. Now, I do think it's a little ridiculous that he kept getting you know, caught for these tests, but at the same time, there shouldn't be tests in the first place. It's It's ridiculous. And all the all this stuff is kind of coming full circle now. I think that we're coming to a big, big breaking point for the NFL and the NFL's player union to a point where it might honestly break the league apart. There is no way that there is going to be a happy middle ground that everyone comes away satisfied because the players are going to want more money from revenue sharing and they're going to want more money from ticket sales and jersey prices. They're going to want more safety after they leave the game due to medical bills. A lot of these guys are going to be involved in the opioid crisis that's currently taking over America because fun fact, all of the painkillers that the NFL gives their players are opioid-based painkillers, which, by the way, is still the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That that the NFL, a, a league that claims that it's ahead of its time in scientific research, is still giving its players opioids to handle pain is completely ridiculous to me. But at the same time, we do need, we will be seeing a big big break between the NFL and the NFL's player union. I would not be surprised that when this collective bargaining agreement comes up that we might see an entire year-long lockout of of this. No draft, no no Super Bowl, no games, nothing. We might miss an entire season of football due to the greed of the NFL and the what is going to end up being a unrealistic attempt to gain ground from the NFL's player union. No one's going to break because the because the NFL player union is clearly sick of all of this, and the NFL is not going to give an inch because all of them at the end of the day are just greedy, greedy, greedy billionaires. And I know it was really nice of the uh, it was great of some of the NFL teams to give to cut off $100 million in revenue sharing to give to concussions. Thank you, NFL. You've given $100 million after you being, what, I think an $11 billion company? Yay, what a, what a nice handout that is for the players. But it's, 
it's it's one of those things that you know we're gonna see. I think this is also gonna be in all the other leagues. I mean, if this is gonna happen in the NBA. We're gonna see a weird, weird collective bargaining agreement transition because there's so much money in basketball right now that the players gonna want a piece of this money, and it's gonna happen the same thing for the NHL. It's gonna happen the same thing for the MLB, and then eventually it's gonna happen to the NFL. And unfortunately for football fans, we're gonna be the real victims of this because there's gonna be no more football. You know, if if there's if there's no more NFL, then maybe another league starts uh, tries to actually start up. I know that there have been multiple multiple attempts to start a new competitive football league that have just completely failed because people just don't want to risk giving up the money going up against a multi billion dollar company. But it's just it's a little bit ridiculous to me that we're still in this stage where we're just we're just bickering back and forth to each other. This isn't this isn't interesting anymore. People aren't enamored by Deflategate anymore. People are just kind of pissed off. These amicus briefings that, you know, all these union groups are starting to stand behind Tom Brady. Of course they are. This is a union thing now. This isn't a Tom Brady thing. This isn't this isn't a New England Patriots cheated thing anymore. That that doesn't even matter. The NFL could give two less craps about Tom Brady and the New England Patriots in this whole situation. Now it is simply a fight for them over whether or not they can have control over their players. And what they're soon going to find out is that unfortunately the laws of America say that no, you cannot have one person to have complete control over an entire union of players. It's just never going to happen. This is going to go to the court. And honestly, if it gets through the Second Circuit Court, I know it's ridiculous that the Flategate might get to the Supreme Court. But if this is a union case, continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see these guys try to, excuse me, we're going to see the NFL try to keep as much power as they possibly can. We're going to see the union try to just keep up as much as they can in the Supreme Court, in the Second, in the second Circuit Court. But, you know, we saw that Brady's suspension was upheld. And I think that, you know, the, you know, the chances of it getting re-heard uh, are pretty, are pretty bad from what I've gathered, it's it's almost a statistical improbability. But after all of these unions have backed him, it seems to be more of a toss-up is what I'm starting to see on the uh, Twitter links that there might actually be a chance that the Patriots uh, are allowed into the second court system to see if Tom Brady can get this suspension revoked again, which is still ridiculous. But at the end of the day, guys, I think that, you know, all NFL fans have actually learned something that, you know, while sure the Patriots, you know, as, as a Patriots fan, I can acknowledge that the Patriots have done some pretty shady things over the years. There have been some question marks around their franchise with how they've done things, but whatever. You know, they're like, they're, I, my, my favorite website ever is called everyteamcheats.com. It's a, it's a, it's a whole website that shows you what NFL teams have done to cheat over the years. And some of these teams that we don't hear, like some of the things that these teams do that we don't hear about are absolutely ridiculous. The, 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 um, uh, the, what's it called? The, um, the HGH scandal with the Seattle Seahawks from a couple years ago when I think it was over 15 players got suspended on that team for using HGH. The Denver Broncos have been cheating had been cheating the salary cap through the 80s and 90s as had the Cowboys. Then the Cowboys and Redskins had that whole salary cap scandal a couple years ago. Like this stuff is ridiculous. Like the Cleveland Browns were texting coaches from the sideline. The Falcons pumped in crowd noise as did the Colts like 
the Patriots are not the only people that have had shady things happen to them over the years. Let's let's make that very clear. Every single team has something has has skeletons in their closet. It it's impossible not to in the NFL today. But I think that NFL fans' eyes have really been open this year to the real corruption inside of the NFL and how and how terribly it's affected the sport. And especially because we see a league like the NBA, where I know I mentioned that they're going to have CBA problems, but that's more of a money thing rather than a corruption thing. We're seeing that the NFL is, is almost on FIFA levels of corruption, just, just deep, deep-rooted levels of greed and money-grubbing and just all this crazy stuff. Like, it's no surprise to me. I know that, you know, Barstool may not be the most reputable news source in the world, but they made a really good point. All of the executives that Roger Goodell had or like kind of hired over the years to join his team have all been fired up to this point. All of them, every single one. Mike Kenzel, the guy I'll page, he's gone out of here. All of his, all of uh, his guys, um, excuse me, Roger Goodell's guys are gone. He's the last remaining piece of a corruption-based league that is spanned at over over a decade. It's ridiculous. If you go back and look at the guys that have been fired, they're all gone. His right-hand man, his vice, his vice commissioner, whatever, all these positions, they're all gone. He's the last one left. So, you know, and that, that news has not been reported at all. No one's reporting the different executives that have been fired from the NFL. Like, that's just not news, but it should be. It should be news that the NFL, or at least the the inner workings of the NFL, are trying to fix themselves because they recognize that while all PR is good PR or whatever the stupid quote is, it's it's hurting. It's Now it's starting to hurt the league because while it's not affecting the money they bring in or the ratings they bring in, you just don't want to be viewed... As evil, especially when the NBA has taken massive strides to become one of the most likable sports leagues in the world. Everyone loves the NBA right now. Adam Silver has been an incredible commissioner for them since Stern left. He's completely swept aside every other commissioner of the major sports. Rob Manfred for the MLB just he just hasn't done anything. Gary Bettman has had two strikes under him. And Roger Goodell might be the worst commissioner in sports. So it's, it's just interesting to me that we see the NFL. They're trying something. But the next piece that has to go is Roger Goodell. It's, it's final. This, if this Deflategate despicableness gets to the Supreme Court, Goodell has to be gone. Because that means we've reached a whole new level of absurdity with a sports league trying to control its players so much that it's willing to go to the Supreme Court of the United States of America in order to show that they can control people how they see fit. That's ridiculous. No one should be trying that hard to show that they can control people. That's horrible. And Roger Goodell, who makes $35 million a year, whatever the crazy, stupid number is that he makes, it's, it just reeks of FIFA. Like, like, go back and read some of the press briefings from um, all this FIFA nonsense that's been going on and how much money these guys made monthly, yearly. It is 
unbelievable how much money these guys were able to skim off the top. And I'm not saying that Goodell is extorting money from the NFL. I don't even think he would dare to do that. But clearly, clearly change is needed. Change is needed in the NFL. If they want to keep up with the rest of the leagues and how much money. Because remember, the NBA just signed a $1.4 billion deal with ESPN. That's a lot of money. And sure, the NFL will probably sign one more big contract before the uh, start of the new decade in order to keep themselves at the top of the top of the hill. But it's just, there's a lot of money in sports. And if you don't have the right person leading your league, it's, it's, you're just, you're going to plummet. And if you ask me with all this concussion stuff that's going on, with the hatred of Roger Goodell, just... All of this is a perfect combination and a mixture for a gigantic collapse. They always say that you know the NFL is too big to fail, but at the same time, it's not. The NFL is not too big to fail. The NFL could easily fold up its doors due to simple lack of, not lack of interest, but just lack of good character. At the end of the day, FIFA is not going to fold up its doors, but it might just simply because they can't seem to find a leader who's not incredibly corrupt. But I think it's time that, you know, it, it's time for something new in the NFL. Roger Goodell clearly doesn't work as a commissioner. Nothing he's done has really showed any sort of positive benefits for anyone except himself. And in a league with this much publicity and a league with this much money riding on it, that's just unacceptable. It's, it's unacceptable that the only person profiting off of in an NFL and in, in a professional sports league is the commissioner. That's just that's not good. That that's really really bad. But no, we'll 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 continue to keep looking at a lot of this Deflategate stuff as the uh, as the year goes on and as the summer goes on. Uh, I'll still be here uh, during the summer to bring you guys every uh, every other couple of weeks to uh, hear my voice to give you some good Patriot stuff. Uh, I am very, very excited for OTAs to actually start. Right now, I believe, is like the three-week break period for Patriots players before minicamps start. So hopefully they will be able to avoid any major injuries. And um, hopefully we'll we'll have a nice summer of uh, Patriots news. But uh, that's it for me. Um, I want to thank the... Uh, you know, all the CLNS guys, go to clnsradio.com to check out all the incredible Patriots uh, cover stuff, along with all the other major Boston sports. want to thank Nick Gelsa, the, uh, the creator of uh, CLNS Radio, and Larry H. Russell, our executive producer for Patriots Beat. But, you know, thanks to all those guys. Go check out clnsradio.com. Go check out Loot Crate. I'm actually a subscriber to Loot Crate. It's one of the coolest things that you can actually sign up to. I'm a huge fan. So go check it out. Check in uh, lootcrate.com slash CLNS Radio. Get, get some good money off and some really cool items. So, yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening, and I'll uh, see you in a couple weeks. Thanks.